Welcome to the Divorce Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Carolee Fontanelli, and I am a divorce lawyer and author and have been through divorce myself. I'm here to support you throughout your breakup journey. On this podcast, I will share with you my secrets and legal tips on how you can thrive through your separation in small six-minute increments. Don't do it alone. I have got you. Hello. Welcome back. Welcome to 2024. Um, Well, at least it is at the time that I'm recording this podcast and it's reaching your earwaves. I hope that you all stayed safe uh, over that festive season. Uh, Thanks for tuning in again. This year we've got some exciting things coming up on the Divorce Collective podcast, so I can't wait to bring you some more information. Today I'm going to talk to you about the perils of financial agreements in family law and navigating those risks. Financial agreements in family law can be double-edged sword, offering a resemblance of financial security, but also carrying potential dangers that individuals may not fully comprehend. These agreements often entered into during the blissful stages of a relationship or a marriage, maybe not often as they should be, um, but they can have far-reaching consequences when relationships turn sour. In this podcast, I'm going to delve into those dangers associated with financial agreements in family law and explore how individuals can navigate those potential pitfalls. First of all, lack of legal advice. One of the most significant dangers of a financial agreement is the absence of independent legal advice. Individuals may be inclined to draft and sign such agreements without fully understanding the legal implications. Without proper legal guidance, parties might inadvertently waive their rights or agree to terms that are not in their best interests. Is a 30-minute advice session with a lawyer adequate to discharge the obligations of the lawyer? But also, is it enough to establish that the party has received adequate advice? That's questionable if you ask me. We often get calls from prospective clients wanting to get advice together and they become irate with us when we tell them that's not going to happen. But we can't. We have to give independent legal advice. Um, Most times their response is, well, another lawyer said it's okay, so we'll go with them. Look, I can tell you I don't lose any sleep over those clients not retaining, um, that's for sure, because the risks are too far great. We often also get calls about costs involving financial agreements and, you know, the usual response is, well, you know, so-and-so lawyer said they can do a fixed fee for, you know, a couple of hundred dollars, so we're going to go with them. Again, no loss of sleep on my part and I dread to see the quality of the drafting or the extent of the legal advice prior to execution of that agreement. Second, coercion and duress. Entering into a financial agreement under duress or coercion is of grave concern when it comes to binding financial agreements or financial agreements as they're actually called because they're not binding until a court says they are. Anyway, power imbalances within a relationship may lead to one party feeling pressured into signing the agreement against their better judgment. Such agreements are susceptible to being set aside in the court, but the legal process can be lengthy and emotionally taxing. In relationships where there is a significant power imbalance, the risk of coercion and duress looms large. This could stem from differences in financial status, education, or even emotional vulnerabilities. The party wielding more power may exploit this disadvantage to push the other into accepting terms that are not in their best interests. So consider a situation where a spouse controls the majority of the family finances, for example. If this spouse insists on the financial agreement without affording the other party sufficient time to seek legal advice or understand the implications fully, it raises questions about the voluntariness of the agreement. Um, There's other um, 
concerns uh, with coercion and control. Um, I won't go into them, but it, it exists and it's a, it's a big it's a big worry. Um, three, inadequate financial disclosure. Parties are legally obl- obligated to provide complete and accurate financial disclosure. Failing to fulfil this obligation not only jeopardises the v- validity of the agreement itself, but can also result in legal consequences for the non-disclosing party. Courts can impose penalties or sanctions against individuals found to have intentionally concealed financial information. A cornerstone of equitable financial agreements in family law is the full and honest disclosure of each party's financial circumstances. Inadequate financial disclosure, whether it's unintentional or deliberate, poses significant risks and can lead to agreements that are neither fair nor legally sound. When parties enter into these financial agreements, they're expected to provide comprehensive overview of their financial situation, including their assets, their liabilities, their income, their expenses. The information is crucial for parties to be able to make informed decisions about the terms of that agreement. Courts recognise the importance of transparency and expect parties to act in good faith. If it's later discovered that a party failed to disclose significant financial information, then a court might set the agreement apart, rendering it unenforceable. So on that, number four, validity and enforceability. The validity and enforceability of a financial agreement in family law are pivotal considerations that can significantly impact the legal standing and effectiveness of the agreements. A lack of adherence to legal requirements and oversights in drafting processes can render these agreements vulnerable to challenges, more challenges than they're already vulnerable to, potentially leading to nullification by the courts. Financial agreements must meet stringent legal criteria to be considered valid and enforceable. That's why they're not done within five minutes. They're not done within half an hour. They're not done cheaply. Um, These agreements, um, like I'm trying to say, are fraught with risk. They really should only be used in certain circumstances. Next, there's the um, risks of time constraints and pressure. This is one of my pet peeves personally, but financial agreements must be entered into freely and voluntarily by both parties. Rushed decision-making, time constraints, pressure to sign without adequate consideration or adequate time to consider the legal advice as given can cast doubt on the voluntary nature of the agreement. Courts may scrutinise the circumstances surrounding the execution of the agreement to assess whether both parties had a reasonable opportunity to seek the legal advice, to understand the legal advice and to negotiate the terms of the agreement. So while financial agreements in family law can provide a sense of financial security and clarity, it is crucial to approach them with caution. I personally use them as the exception, not the rule. There are other ways to formalise property settlement. Seeking independent legal advice, maintaining transparency and allowing flexibility for unforeseen circumstances are essential elements to mitigate those uh, risks associated with the agreements. Financial agreements, in my opinion, should never ever be sold as a service that is easy, cost-effective and will get you in and out in a hurry. If they are, um, then they're likely not worth the paper that they're written on and they're going to be fraught with risk for the parties. Um, 
As far as financial agreements post-separation, in my experience, most times they're really only being used because the agreement reached is grossly unfair to one of the parties or a party is trying to protect themselves from a spousal maintenance claim. My view um, and my practice way of limiting um, what can be challenged is maybe to use a hybrid of consent orders and a limited financial agreement contracting out a spousal maintenance if that's what the parties desire. Now, look, financial agreements have their place. That is for sure. A great example is an agreement entered into before or during a relationship that agrees in advance what will happen if the relationship breaks down. So it agrees in advance what's going to happen to the property. It sets out the way that the parties wish to enter into their relationship or continue with their relationship to protect their assets. Those financial agreements have their place. They're no different with respect to the risks they produce and qualified, tailored, extensive, well-crafted legal advice is a must. Um, keep a lookout for my next article. I'm going to walk you through a notable case of Thorne and Kennedy where the court had to consider whether or not a prenuptial agreement was valid and enforceable. Um, again, for what it's worth, my opinion, financial agreements are not designed to be easy. They're not designed to be cheap. They're not designed to be a quick fix. If any of these apply as to why you are contemplating entering into a financial agreement, then you may want to think twice. And at the very, very least, you want to get some qualified legal advice from a family lawyer. That's it from me today. Um, yeah bit of a risky one to start off the new year, isn't it? Um, but look, hopefully it gave you uh, some, I guess, food for thought and really puts your mind to the risks about financial agreements. Um, look, it's quite ironic as I'm recording this, I'm uh, there's a massive, massive thunderstorm happening around me. So I'm not sure if you can hear it um, in the audio, but the thunders are rolling. And um, look, I'm having a bit of a giggle because to me, um, it's that's just pure example um, of the dangers that exist with financial agreements and why um, it is so very important um, to get legal advice, proper legal advice. Don't rush it. Think of alternatives and other options that you might be able to, especially if it's a post-separation formalization of property settlement. You don't necessarily need a financial agreement. Contrary to all the public opinion out there and all the gossip and all of the, you know, um, the, the, uh, grapevines and he said she said and I did this and my friend did that not true you don't need financial agreements there are other things like consent orders that might be more applicable in your case to um, I, I, I guess avoid some of the risks we've talked about anyway until next time thanks for tuning in thank you for listening to the divorce collective podcast brought to you by collectivefamilylaw.com.au if you got value from this week's episode, I would love it if you would hit subscribe and take a minute to leave a review. You can connect with us on Instagram or Facebook just by searching for Collective Family Law. And remember, until next time, you have got this.